I love Cookville. You know, when we come back, I, I feel like we just look at the, the trees and we look at the land. The other day I was riding around Cookville by myself and I was just reminiscing on all the memories that Kayla have made in Cookville in high school and, and then in college. And so Cookville holds a very sweet place in my heart. And uh, Stephen Street particularly does too. And so when I come here, I just feel like I'm here with family. And so I'm grateful for you. Stephen Street, for each, each of you. Um, also, when we come to Cookville, we eat Blue Coast a lot. That's one of our favorite things about Cookville. I ate Blue Coast two times in 24 hours this week, which was, it was a good day. And so, uh, what I want to do, first, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, that's where we're going to be at for the majority of our time. And what I want to do also is I'm going to tell you our plan today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to preach a um, relatively short sermon um, through Luke chapter 15. And then what I'm going to do then is I'm going to share with you a little bit of an update from Pittsburgh. And I'm going to share with you the vision that we have to plant a church in Pittsburgh. And so in that, I'm also going to show you ways that you can join in, and I'm going to invite you to join in as well. And so that's the progression. We're going to, I'm going to preach a sermon, and we're going to go through a little bit of an update of what we're doing. But most importantly, we're going to get in the Word. So Luke chapter 15, let me start with this. So uh, I think it's safe to say that we all could use reminders at times, right? Uh, I think uh, whether it's calendar reminders telling you what's next in the day, uh, or maybe it's uh, a reminder from your doctor. Uh, I had that recently. They told me I need to look at my cholesterol. So I've never had to do that before. Right? But they say, hey, take, pay attention. It's a, a gentle reminder. Uh, or maybe it's, it's lifestyle reminders. Like um, the other days I was disciplining one of my children. I was just reminded, why do we do that? It's not to correct them. It's to, it's to address their heart. And so that reminder was good for me in that moment because it encouraged me to, to proceed well with what we're called to do. And so today, I think we would admit that when we spend time separated from something or giving something less attention, at times we can, we can forget aspects of whatever that may be. And I think we could all say we could use reminders. And so today, we're going to see that Jesus is going to remind a crowd of people who have come to him and at this point, the religious leaders of the day have um, spent generations in silence. They've not heard from God. They have, uh, they've allowed themselves to live in their sin. And so what has happened is as they've lived in their sin, and as they have not been connected with the Lord, they have forgotten his character. They have forgotten his character. And for what we know about the uh, religious leaders in the day, they have not only forgotten his character, but they have distorted it altogether, right? The religious leaders of the day had began to create this image of a God that is not true of the God of the Bible. And so we're going to see that Jesus, by sharing three parables, is going to remind the people who God is. And not only that, he's going to remind them of God's heart for the lost. And that's going to be big, because I think if we're honest today, Sometimes we can lack passion for those that do not know Jesus, right? Sometimes we can lack passion when we look at this broken world and we see the terrible things that happen here. 
at times, and we can, be, we can forget that God is still on a rescue mission for those that are far from him in this world. Or we can get so wrapped up in what we do in church with our church community, with what we can produce in church, that we can forget that the main mission of the church is to join with God in reaching those that are far from him. Okay, so the main point today is I think we're going to be reminded that God desires his church to share in his passion and pursuit of the lost. So we're going to see today that God desires those that are far from him to find him, and he wants his church to be the vehicle in which that love and passion is communicated to the world. And so we're going to be, have the opportunity today to look at the character of God and then evaluate ourselves to see are we living with that type of passion. So the title of this sermon is The Pursuit of God. And I think often when we think pursuit of God, we think how can we pursue the Lord more? How can we be more diligent in how we pursue God? How can we get more disciplined and, and, so, and so forth? But we should be reminded today that what holds our relationship with the Lord together is not our pursuit of Him, but His pursuit of us. And His relentless pursuit, especially for us before we knew Him. And so that's going to be where we go today. So the hope today, let me just tell you where I hope we would go today. If you're a Christian in here, I hope that you would be reminded of God's passion for the lost and that you would be challenged to tell those who are far from him of his love for them. So that's my, that's my hope for you, Christian, today. And if you're not a believer, my hope for you is that you would recognize that God is after your heart. That God wants to be in a relationship with you. All right, so that's where we're going. Luke chapter 15. Uh, let me, let, we're going to start in verse 1 and 2. This is the intro here. I'm going to uh, uh, tell you the context. So this is what it says, verses 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, near to hear him, to Jesus, that is. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So what's happening here is that uh, Jesus has brought in a crowd of what it says tax collectors and sinners. So it's those types of people that the religious leaders would say, hey, they don't belong here. Like they, they don't know you. They're living sinful life, a sinful life. They don't, they don't need to be around you. So the religious leaders say, hey, that this isn't good. And in fact, listen to what it says. It says, they grumbled saying, and they say the most precious words anyone can ever imagine, but they say it with the wrong heart. Right, listen to what they say. They, they say, this man receives sinners. And they say the most true words, the most precious words that could ever be uttered, but they say it with the wrong heart. They say it in a grumbling way. And so in response to that, Jesus says, I'm going to teach you about this God that you have forgotten. I'm going to teach you about God's heart because you have distorted it. And so that's what we're going to do. And he does this by sharing three parables. And so we're going to get into that. And so as we do, I want you to notice a theme that we're going to see in this chapter, in these parables. Uh, we're going to see this theme of God's passion and pursuit on display and how that leads to restoration and how restoration leads to celebration. Okay, so God's passion leads to restoration in the lives of people and that restoration leads to celebration among God's people. Keep that in mind. All right, so the first parable the shepherd and his sheep. So look at the text, verse 3 here. 
So he told them this parable in response to their grumbling heart. He told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Okay, so what we see here is that Jesus, or that the shepherd, he's describing the shepherd looking out at his sheep and being aware that one is gone. And he doesn't just say, all right, let's keep moving. No, he's aware of one, and then he goes and he finds it. And so that's our first point. As we're learning and we're being reminded of God's character, let's remember that God is not content with lostness. God is not content with lostness. Because if you notice in the story, the shepherd is aware and concerned for that one that is not in the flock. And so he goes and he finds it. And I want to point to our attention that even when we may waver in our passion for those that don't know him, because we do, if we're honest, let us remember that God does not waver in that passion. God cares far more about your uh, co-workers, your neighbors, your family than we do sometimes. God desires those that are far from him to be in a relationship with him, and he's not content with those that are lost. And look at this. He is unwavering in his pursuit. It says that, that he goes after the one that is lost until he finds it. So he doesn't give up. He's going to find it. And so if you're a believer in here, you remember that you were once lost. We were just talking about that earlier before the sermon, about how we were once lost and God sought us out. Even as Romans 3 says, no one seeks for God, so we're not looking for him, but he will find us. He has passion for us. And so I love what we see in, the, uh, in this story, though, because it says that the, the shepherd goes and he looks for the sheep. And when he finds the sheep, he doesn't snap at him and say, hey, come back to the flock. He doesn't tie, tie a leash around his neck and, and pull him back to the flock reluctantly. He finds the sheep, and he puts it on his shoulders, and he carries him back to the flock. And what imagery do we have in Jesus there is Jesus gladly bore the wrath of sin on his shoulders for us. And he, did, he didn't say, hey, you bring something to the table here too, and I'll bring mine, and we'll kind of make a deal here. He brought us back to the flock in his own power, not in ours. And so I just want us to notice that we start here in this parable of being reminded of God's passion to restore that which is lost. And I want you to notice here, I told you there's going to be a theme that I want us to see. Look at verse 5 and 6. He says, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Rejoice with me. So you see this, this theme. God is aware and he's passionate, and so he pursues. And then that leads to restoration. And that restoration stirs a celebration. All right, let's keep that in mind. Second parable here, the woman and her coin. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? And so very, very similar to the parable of the lost sheep here, we see that the woman does not lose the coin and forget about it. In fact, she goes to great lengths to find the coin. Why? 
Why would she desire to find this coin and not just leave it under the rug? Because it has value. Because the coin has significance to her. And so we think, here's our second point, that God values his creation. God values his creation. Think about this. All people, whether you feel it or not, have incredible value to God. And this challenges me as I think about the people often in my life who I feel are unworthy of my time. Or I will go through life and just say hello and keep moving. And I forget the fact that God values every single person that walks on this earth. He values them on a deep level. And I was thinking about this the other day as I was writing this sermon. And I thought about my girls. Um, and I thought, why do, they ha- why do I love them? Why do, I have- why do they have value in my life? You know, it's not because every morning, which I work from home, which is wonderful, and they come in my office and they give me a hug right before they go eat breakfast. That's not why they have value to me. It's not because they can color great pictures and give them to me. And, and it's not because they, 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 can, they do good in school or they do good uh, in sports or whatever it may be, but they have value to me because they're mine, right? Because God gave them to me. There's nothing that they could do that would make, them, make me love them more or less, but I love them because they're mine. And that's how God feels about us. He loves us, and listen, he loves us, he values us, not because we have so many traits that God loves about us. That's not it. He doesn't love us because he's like, hey, I need, their, I need their qualities on my team. I need them on my Christian team. That's not why he loves us. No, he values us because we are his. I think it's a good reminder for us as Christians in here, as we often uh, can get confused of where our value resides. You know, our value is not in how we look. Our value is not in... Uh, what others think about us. Our value is not in the money that we make, the, the job that we have, the status that we have, how, how secure our family is. Our value is certainly not in what we produce. But our value is tied to God seeking us out and identifying us as cherished children of his and saying, you have value in my eyes because you are mine. As Christians, that we would do do well to be reminded that our value isn't tied to anything else except our identity in Christ. Now, if you're not a believer, and if you were like me, this hopelessness, there's hopelessness that resonates with you as you think about your identity, your value, what drives everything that you do. This insecurity that that swells up in us when we, we aren't sure if someone likes us or we aren't sure if we measure up to the parent beside us. And God, I want you to know that God is after your heart, that God desires to redefine who you are, to re-identify who you are, and there's freedom there. So in this parable, we are reminded that nobody is insignificant to God. Nobody is insignificant to God. Now also, notice this this theme that I mentioned, verse 9 and 10. And when she has found it, Again, the same thing. She calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. So again, we see there's a passion, there's a pursuit, and that leads to a finding, a restoration, and that leads to celebration. Again, again, keep that in mind. Let's move on to the third parable here, the prodigal son. It's one of my favorite parables in the Bible. 
And so let me tell you what we're going to see in this parable first, and that is that God's power can redeem any situation. God's power can redeem any situation. Now, before we see God's power on display, though, we're going to see a rebellion here in this passage that we are all familiar with. So let's read here, verse 11. And he said, remember, keep in mind what we said, Jesus is teaching a crowd who has forgotten God's heart for people. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And so it connects with me, this parable connects with me, in that there is a pursuit that I'm very familiar with, that maybe you are very familiar with. It is that pursuit where we look at the treasures that the world offers, and we believe that by achieving them, they will satisfy us. That's what we see happen here with the son. We believe that he's going to seek for pleasure in this world, and that's going to bring his uh, that, that, that's going to bring joy to his life, satisfaction to his world, and he's going to have exactly what he wants. And we find, just like we would find, it left him in a place of brokenness. It left him in a place of hopelessness. Now, when we find ourselves in a place of hopelessness, we find that we reach for hope outside of ourselves. And that's what we're going to see right here. Let me summarize uh, the text. Um, so what the, what, the son do, what the son does is he, he gets in really bad shape. So he spends all that he has, he wastes all his money, and then he finds himself at the bottom of himself, himself and he says, what am I going to do now? He, so he, said, he goes and he hires himself out as just a slave to anyone who will give him money where he can do work, and in doing so, he recognizes, he says, I'm getting treated like trash. He said, I'm not even able to eat from the same place that the pigs eat. He said, my world is in shambles, and it's basically my fault. And so he says, what am I going to do? And so he reasons with himself, and he says, the only thing I can do is go back to dad. The dad who graciously gave me what I asked for, i got to go back to him and ask him for forgiveness. So he says, that's what I'm going to do. And he, and he starts to rehearse this message, and he's going to tell his dad. He says, he says dad, I've, I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. I, I've sinned against you. I'm going to get it out there. I've sinned. Uh, don't take me back as your son. I'm not worthy. Just take me back as one of your slaves. So he says, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And so he starts to head back to his dad. But he's going to find the dad, his father, in a much different place than he expected. I'm going to read this here, verse 20. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son here, look, the son is about to recite everything that he had planned out. He's about to say, Dad, I've, I've sinned. Let me talk. I've sinned. I'm not worthy to be called your son. So this is what he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And right as he's about to say, just let me in as your servant, it says, but the father stopped him, said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on, on him and put a ring on his hand, shoes on his free feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. They began to celebrate. So I want us to see that God doesn't receive us begrudgingly. 
He doesn't receive us in such a way that says, uh, hey, if you clean your life up, you come to me, then I'll receive you. That's not God's heart. I want us to see that God didn't say, I told you so, or God didn't say, I knew you'd be coming back, or it's about time. He did none of those things. The father longs for his child to be home. And not only that, but he doesn't even make the son wait, make the long, shameful walk all the way to his house. His compassion drives him to run to meet the son and said, no, you're still mine. This is a powerful parable because here we see that nobody is ever far too gone to be reconciled to God. And listen, God longs for them to be home. God is waiting for them to be home. And so see, just listen to this. Just as the father ran to his wayward son, God has ran to our rescue as well. I want us to see that in these three, three parables, we see the gospel displayed. You think about the shepherd leaving the 99 for the one. As the shepherd looks at his flock and goes alone to find the one, I'm reminded that Jesus took the lonely path to the cross alone out of love for us. And the woman who searches her house for the lost coin, because that one coin has value, I'm reminded that Jesus had our heart or had us in mind as he hung on the cross for us out of love for us. And then in the prodigal son being able to be received home by the father, no matter what he did, didn't have to bring any baggage to the table, I'm reminded that the scope of what the cross does for us is it touches all of our sins for all people everywhere. The gospel is on display here. And so I want us to see that the parable closes, though, with another expression of celebration. Look what it says. For this, my son was dead. Remember, pursuit, redemption, celebration. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. What you notice here, what's being celebrated is not what we can produce. So if you think about us now, what, we, what, what is being celebrated is not what we can produce. It's not the community necessarily that we can create, but we should make sure that nothing would drive us to celebrate more in this church than when someone walks from death to life. Nothing should motivate us more. And so we think about why do we do what we do here? It's for me, people like me, people like you, and those lost people in your life to experience the love of Jesus. This has to be what motivates us as a church. Nothing else. That we would see the one walk from death to life. Because remember, you were the one. So let us not forget the passion that God had for you. And we must share it with the world. So I want to do two things here. One, I want to say to you, if you're not a believer in here, I know you're broken. You know you're broken. And you may not know it, but there's a hole inside of you, and there's a reason that you feel the things that you do. And I want you to find rest today that know, knowing that God is in pursuit of your heart. And Christians, Christians, I want us to be reminded today that you as the church, we as the church have the very high responsibility to be the vehicle in which his love and compassion is communicated to the world. So I want you to evaluate your relationships, your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, those people in, in your life that are far from Jesus. Do they know God's love for them? I'm guilty of this. I'm not, I'm not preaching this as if I've, I've arrived there. I struggled even driving on the way here, 
praying that the Lord would use this message, even though I don't feel like this has sunk into my heart. But are you joining with God in his passion and pursuit of those that are far from him? And listen, it's no secret that the need is huge around the world. And so we're in Pittsburgh. Um, You guys are in Cookville. Um, The mission is no different here and there, no greater here and there. Um, But what I want to tell you is a story from my context. And so we had been in Pittsburgh for probably six months now. Um, And there was one day that we live on a cul-de-sac, and I stepped out of my my yard. And, I mean, all of our friends are congregating there in the cul-de-sac. And one of the men drew me over to the side. And this guy has been married for 60 years. So I have a lot of respect for this man. He walks me over to the side, and he says, he knows what we're doing there. We've been very clear. Um, I'm, me and him are alone. He says, tell me, what do you believe it takes to be saved? And so I'm like, oh, well, this is why I'm here to plant a church, right? Softball question. I think I'm about to knock this thing out of the park. And so I begin to share that it's through the blood of Christ alone. It is through, uh, I begin to talk about Romans 3 and how it is justification through faith alone, through the blood of Christ alone, and nothing else. There is no works involved. And so I share all this, and I'm thinking, this guy's about to get saved. This will be our our first great success story of planting a church here in Pittsburgh. And in response to the gospel, he says, you know, Alex, that's going to be a tough sell here in Pittsburgh. I said, the gospel's going to be a tough sell? Like this, the fact that God pursues us and says, you don't have to bring anything else but just your faith to me, and Jesus does the rest, you say, that's going to be a hard sell in Pittsburgh? And that's not just Pittsburgh, but that's around the world. And I walked away from that conversation thinking, man, there is work to do. We've got to communicate to the world that there's a God that loves loves them. And if we don't do it, we're being disobedient. And so what I want us to do now is I'm going to pray because I want us to really consider our heart in this. And then we're going to transition into a time where I'm just going to share about our church. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll share a little more. Lord, you are worthy of our worship. Lord, you have have redeemed. You have the power to redeem. And we believe that you still desire to do that today. And I pray that even as I share this with the church, I recognize that my heart is not there and that I need to grow in my passion for those that are far from you but I pray that collectively just today that we would be challenged and reminded of your character that you're not a God that desires your people to just congregate and grow together but you desire your people to be commissioned out to reach a lost world to tell people about the hope that is in us and I pray Lord that when we get to heaven you would not say to us Why didn't you tell them? Why didn't they know? Lord, we just want to be faithful where we're at, whether it's in Cookville or Pittsburgh. And Lord, let us just be growing in our love and adoration for you. And so, Lord, I pray for any in here who do not know you. Lord, would you right now stir their heart, help them recognize your love for them. And would you then uh, just give them the boldness to talk to somebody about this so we can... Uh, help them make the most important decision in their life. 
So, Lord, would you be honored today as we share about our church? Would you unite our hearts here in these ministries? And, Lord, uh, we're grateful for your sacrifice. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to share with you about what we're doing in Pittsburgh. And so we're planting Pursuit Church. And so if you want to go to the next slide here. Before we even get there, let me tell you about Pittsburgh. Who has ever been to Pittsburgh? Nice. Not bad. Most people don't like Pittsburgh. And so you say, hey, we live in Pittsburgh. And they said, that sounds terrible. It's really not bad. We like it. <laughs> okay, so uh, just a few statistics. Let me just give you some things. So the average age in Pittsburgh is about 32, which is pretty young. Uh, that has really, that, that, that has decreased because you have this blue-collar uh, the, this heavy blue-collar culture in the 60s kind of starting to die off. And so you also have this uh, heavy growth in attendance in these universities in Pittsburgh. And so you have Pitt's campus, you have a few other colleges. And so these kids are coming, going to college in Pittsburgh, and then just making their lives in Pittsburgh as well. And so it's dropping that average age down. Now, once known for a thriving steel industry, absolutely true. I mean, we've seen that when you think Pittsburgh, you think this steel industry. Now, what's cool is that, I don't know if you know this, but I work in construction. I work in the steel construction business. That has allowed for a lot of opportunity there. But what we, what's also uh, very revealing is that we are in a culture there that's very similar to the culture here in Cookville. Um, it's, it's a relatively blue-collar roots. People want to um, ha go back to that last slide, please. Um, people want to develop relationships. They, they want to know that you're going to be there. They don't want someone just passing through. They want someone that's going to put roots down there. And so we've noticed that we have fit well into that context. Uh, so also it's considered Northeast. So when you think Pittsburgh, most people would group it into the Northeast with like New York and Boston, but it's really nothing like that. Uh, it's very hospitable. People are very willing to do life with one another. People uh, are kind for the most part. And, and so, we, again, we have found that we, we kind of fit well into that context. And, and then SBC statistics, let me just say, Southern Baptist Convention statistics are not the most important statistics, but they are at least some metric to measure. And so I was talking to a man the other day. I think there is um, 4,500 Southern Baptist churches in Tennessee at least, um, there is one in the North Hills of Pittsburgh, which is where I live. So from a Southern Baptist standpoint, there is a humongous need uh, for gospel-centered work there. Now, if you notice here on the bottom, you may not be able to read that, but that says church planting happens one relationship at a time. And so these statistics really don't mean anything to us anymore. Uh, we are planting a church for the Clarksons, for the Batcos, for the Urbans, for the Lanks, for the other people in our neighborhood that we have grown to love and care for, that's why we're planning a church there. And so these statistics is really just to show the need, but let me just tell you, we have felt the need. We're surrounded by husbands and fathers and loving mothers and people who love one another well, but feel that they have no need for God. That is why we're planning a church. Go to the next slide. Okay, so um, one cool story. Uh, when we first visited Pittsburgh about two years ago, um, Ken Cordray is a good friend of mine in Pittsburgh, took us to an overlook in Pittsburgh, and he pointed out to the Steelers Stadium and said, that is our greatest competition for worship. And so he's, basically he was saying, look, sports here from professional level down to children is an idol in people's lives, which is not, not uncommon for most areas. 
And so the sports scene really rules people's lives often, but also um, being in Pittsburgh, I've found it's a good place to raise a family. We live in a suburb. We do life with people. It, from a housing standpoint, it's relatively cheap for a, from a metropolitan area. So um, people, like I said, I'm surrounded by loving dads, loving husbands, great friends who love one another well, but they don't know Jesus and they don't feel that they have a need for it. So you think family and sports rule Pittsburgh. Now, Catholic tradition. So I say traditions because most people, most people will identify as Catholic, but really you can identify as Catholic and go twice a year, right? And so they would say, I'm, I'm a Catholic by default. And so I was talking to one of my buddies, we were riding to basketball one day, and he said, you know, being Catholic is really strange. He said, it's a weird religion. He said, I go at Easter and Christmas, and, but that's about it. I did everything I was supposed to, got baptized as a kid. I got, went through all of the affirmation steps I was supposed to. So I'm a Catholic, but I don't really believe it. And so that's the context we're walking in. We recognize that most people's understanding of who God is and God's heart for them is very distorted. And so we desire to plant Pursuit Church. So that's the next slide. Okay, so Pursuit Church. I preach through Luke 15 here because that is the heartbeat of our vision for a church. In Pursuit Church, we want to be a church that joins with God in pursuit of the one. That joins with God in pursuit of the one. And we want to see people transformed into not just churchgoers, but into healthy disciples of Jesus. And so you think about our context, people think that I can please God by just going to church twice a year, and we're saying, look, no, God is after your heart, and he wants to change every facet of your life. This is our heart for Pittsburgh, to plant Pursuit Church. All right, so now let's, let's shift a little bit. Go to the next slide. Because here's the big thing. How do you plant a church, right? I mean, that, that's the big question. Because we can say this is our heart for a church, but I know what's going on in your mind is what does that mean, and how would you do that? So let me just share really, really briefly. So there's a kind of a six-phase uh, or a five-phase uh, plan here. So first is this acclimate phase. So that was when we got there a year and a half ago. We took about six months where we didn't really have any responsibilities at the church that I'm doing my residency at, and we just sat and began to make relationships in our area. We bought a house, we put roots down, and we said we're just going to live here and we're going to become friends with the people around us. And so we went through a phase of just acclimating. And so here are just some pictures of uh, the, the first one on the far left. You can't really see it, but that's just, uh, we had a birthday party for my daughter, and that's all of our friends in our neighborhood that came in and hung out. And then these other ones are just, uh, they, they're special stories for us. I can't share all the details right now, but maybe we could talk later, where we have just seen such great growth in, the fr in our friendships around us. Those are these little kids that my kids grow up with that are in our cul-de-sac in Pittsburgh. And that, I, I was joking, the, the trampoline over there on the far right, um, if you're familiar with New Testament context, like the well was kind of where people go to congregate, right? Like that's where they would go and get water and chat about things. I, we joked that the trampoline in the backyard is our well, right? That's where people come. That's where all of our kids come. Everybody comes and hangs out. And so, uh, yeah, that, so we took this phase of just getting acclimated. So whenever I was making these friendships, there was no tie I didn't say, hey, I'm Alex, come to our church. It was like, hey, we're Alex and Kayla, and we just desire to live here in Pittsburgh and raise our family. And so we began to get acclimated. So go to the next phase. So the phase two is the residency. And so that's what I'm in right now. And so right now I'm in the second year of a three-year pastoral residency at our church in Pittsburgh, New Horizon Church. 
those guys right there, so that's Will and Aaron Cole, two of our best friends in Pittsburgh, uh, who have just taught us, taught me. This man has taught me what it means to be a pastor and a planter. And I'm so grateful that this family has taken us in and said, hey, we're going to love you and walk with you, teach you, and also be great friends with you. And so we have been received well by our church there, and they are helping us plant a church. Um, and so I've got some of our networks there. We can talk about that stuff later. But basically, this residency serves to where we are able to serve in the church plant. So we're serving in New Horizon at New Horizon, who is also a new church plant. So we're beginning to see what does it look like to be a church planting member before we are a church planter leader. Okay, and so um, in this, we're developing relationships. We're seeing uh, what it looks like to, to go through all the mechanics of planting a church and also developing in the qualifications of a pastor. And so, yeah, phase two is the residency. Let's go to the next one. So this is our geographical strategy. This is really important. So I mentioned earlier the statistics in the North Hills of Pittsburgh. So if you notice, this is a map of Pittsburgh. Downtown is kind of at the bottom where those rivers meet. And then the rivers kind of go up and create this border of what they call the North Hills of Pittsburgh. And so the top black circle is Cranberry Township, which is where we go and do our church planting residency. That's where we attend church right now. Meanwhile, we live down in that bottom circle at Shaler, Shaler Township. And so the idea is that we would commute to Cranberry to do our residency and make relationships in, a, in the church. But when we plant, we're going to plant where we have been living for the past three years, where we have all these relationships in our community. And so what we desire right now is to have a resident who comes along with us and would live in one of those townships around us to live, to buy a home, to live there and make relationships while they're in a residency at our church so that when they are ready to plant a church, we would send them back to their township to plant a church there. And so if this is how we desire to saturate the North Hills with gospel-centered churches. And so we're stepping into a model that North American Mission Board is behind, that New Horizon Church is behind, and we believe the one that actually works. And so that's our desire, to saturate the North Hills with gospel-centered churches. Okay, so next slide here. All right, so this is the phase that we're in right now. Uh, this is the invitation phase. And so this is where we are inviting people to join with us in two ways. One is to join our core team. So you'll recognize the Sullivan family sitting over here. They'll be moving to Pittsburgh soon to join our team. And there's another family there, the Madison family. That's a family that we have met in Pittsburgh who has uh, decided to join us as well. And there's one other family who has committed as well recently. So right now there are four families, including us. Um, and we desire to see two or three families commit more, more commit by the end of this year. And so real quick, core team is basically those people who are first and foremost healthy disciples of Jesus, committed to multiplying, committed to the mission of the church, that are willing to give their time, energy, and resources over to the hard work of planting a church. So in some sense, they're no different than just a healthy church member here, but on the other end, they're, they're committed to the hard work of tearing up and, and, and uh, setting, setting up and tearing down churches, church to meet in the morning and, and committed to make disciples and to multiply and evangelize in Pittsburgh. And so we're looking to build our core team. Now, we're also asking people to help us meet our financial goals. And so right now, to plant a church, we, we have a $50,000 startup cost. We have $166,000 per year first year budget. And so we developed this from 
New Horizon, after they went through their first year, they said, hey, here is what it costed us. So this is a very real, uh, real budget that was made from a church that just got planted in Pittsburgh. And also, we know what it costs to live in Pittsburgh. We've been there for a year and a half now. And so right now, this is our budget. This is what we're shooting for. We're in the main, in main phase right now through now to the end of the year of trying to get people who would join with us in what we're doing there and help us financially. We'll talk more about that at the end. All right, let's go to the next one. Yeah, so the next phase, so starting in January of next year is when we will begin to develop as a core team. And so our core team at this point will be for the most part established, and we will spend about six months where I am teaching through our core values as a church, where I am teaching our church about what does it mean uh, to be a church member, what is the gospel, what is church leadership, what is church discipline, all of these things just developing as a church body and growing in community. And so in that time, we'll be commissioned from New Horizon as Pursuit Church, and we'll covenant together in October of next year. And so what that means is that in October of next year, we will start meeting weekly uh, in weekly worship gatherings, and then we will begin to work to prepare to launch to the public in Easter. Now what that does is it gives us about five or six months to just grow in our uh, love for one another and really work out the kinks of what it means, what it looks like to be a church that is ready for the public. And so you think we're doing things like identifying ministry leaders, we're putting uh, things in place to make sure all those things are smooth. And so that's what we're doing. That we're in an equip phase next year. Okay, next, next one. All right, real quick, I'll end it. So then Easter 2024 is when we desire to launch. Uh, and that'd be launched to the public. Uh, and then phase six is just this three-year period or more where we just desire to grow as a church, identify other leaders who would be willing to plant churches, and then we hope in six years that we would be able to commission other church plants from our area. And so this is our long-term vision, but our needs right now are pretty evident. So go to the next one. Okay, so how can you be involved? Pray, you got you to pray for us. Keep us on your mind however you can. Put us on your fridge. Get, your, get our names tattooed on your arm if you wish. Just, just pray for us and pray that God would change the hearts of the people that we're around. We're seeing so many people. I was outside the other day in our front yard, and I just think of how God is already moving in area in ways that we could not have provoked. I'm just standing out in my yard. There is a woman who just moved in up the street about six months ago who's walking her dog right in front of our yard, and she says, hey, you're a pastor. I said, yeah, apparently one of our neighbors had told her. And she was like, man, I'm from California in the Catholic Church. Me and my son have got to get out of it. I'm not content with it. Do you know where we can go? It's like people are asking for a church. We've got to plant it, right? And so pray, one, that God would change people's hearts and that they would be responsive to the gospel. Pray also for our family, just as there are times where things are difficult. Um, I mean, when family leaves, those are things that, that hurt. God's cared for us well, but just know, pray for us in that way so you can participate with us. And so this would be a way, come on these mission trips. Uh, when you guys send teams, we're able to do things that we cannot do without you. We had a pumpkin carving party last year, and there was probably 50 kids there. We could not have done that had Stephen Street not sent us a team. When you do those things, it allows us to host these things where we are freed up to make relationships, new relationships with these people in our community. So please participate in these things. Also consider being part of our core team. And so this is where I want to give you or point this to your attention. 
this card here. It should be in your bulletin. And so let's say you started thinking being part of a core team sounds really interesting. Even if it's in Pittsburgh, nine hours north and really cold, that's, that's still interest to you. Go ahead and write your name, your phone number, and just check that box. And we'll, I will personally follow up with you, and we can have that conversation. Now, with this card in mind, the next way that you can be, be involved is partnership. And so we've got some very tangible goals that we have financially, and we are asking the church, the church body, to help us meet those goals. And so there's a few ways that you can do this. You can write your name on here, and you can just check that financially support option and put it in, in the offering plate as it goes around, and I will contact you or someone from our team will contact you to talk about those details. And so you can do that. There's also a QR code. Where's Rick? Is Rick in here? Rick. So there's a QR code on your bulletin and also out there, I believe, right, that you can scan and you can get to the actual needs that we have. And so there's, just, there's a number of ways, or you can just catch me after service. There's a few ways that we can hit this. And so either way, just let us know if you would like to be involved in that way, because we have financial needs and we would love to help see Stephen Street be those that help us meet those. And then you can just promote us. And this is not promote us, this is promote a church plant in Pittsburgh. And so if there is anybody that you know that you think would be interested in hearing about a church that's being planted, or that you think would be um, a benefit to the ministry there, tell them about us. Just let us be someone that you, be a church that you speak about often. And so Stephen Street, as always, we, we are grateful to be here, um, always encouraged to be here and be with you. And so pray for us. Catch me after service if you want to talk a little bit. But most of all, let us not lose, the, lose touch with the fact that God desires us to be people who chase after the one with the gospel.